to insiders, the Sunday after Easter is often known as Low Sunday. Out-of-town visitors and family members have all gone home. Spring, spring break vacations have taken our families traveling all over the country. And the faithful remnant remains. After the glorious crescendo of Vidor's Takata, the grand notes of brass accompaniment to our hymns and inspirational preaching on Easter morning, there is a tendency in many churches to experience the ecclesiastical equivalent of an exhausted collapse. The Easter lilies are gone, and the hats are back in their boxes on the shelf. The music is a bit more subdued, and needless to say, we aren't worried about needing overflow seating today. Sadly, skepticism once again creeps into our thinking about the power of resurrection love over deathly attitudes where last week alleluias prevailed. Today is a good day to ask very important questions. What was the point of it all? Is there a point? Is Easter, with all its wonderful celebration, an end in itself, or does it lead somewhere? This is the question at the center of today's story. It was Easter evening, after the public execution of Jesus on Friday, his closest friends and followers did the practical thing. They went into hiding. Someone had found a safe house in Jerusalem, a room big enough for all of them with a stout door and a strong bolt. There they huddled, fearful and questioning, trying to be inconspicuous, anxious that if they were seen publicly, they would be identified as one of Jesus' friends and would be arrested and crucified themselves. Earlier that day, before dawn, a few of the women had ventured out while it was still dark. They'd gone to the tomb to anoint Christ's body with spices and ointments and had returned breathless, almost hysterical, babbling something about the tomb being open. His body gone, angels and earthquakes. Mary claimed to have seen him again and talked to him. I have seen the Lord. Yet the ones in the room dismissed it as just an idle tale. Then that evening, something happened that none of them would ever forget. Something that made all the difference in the world and challenged everything that they thought they knew about life and death. Suddenly, Jesus was there with them. Peace be with you. And then he said it a second time so they wouldn't miss the point. Peace be with you. He told them why he was there why they were given this Easter experience. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. But one of the disciples, Thomas, was missing that evening. Author Frederick Beekner suggests that perhaps Thomas just wanted some fresh air, wanted to get away from the heavy oppression of the locked room, the prison, so that he was having a cup of coffee or sitting in a park bench feeding the pigeons. Or perhaps he was grocery shopping 
all those people in that locked room were getting hungry. So maybe Thomas the practical, Thomas the dependable, Thomas the realist was out buying food. For whatever reason, he wasn't there when Jesus appears, breathes on the disciples, and sends them out. Later, when Thomas returns, the fearful disciples try to tell him about their experience, but they're all talking at once, sounding just as hysterical and ridiculous as the women had on Easter morning. Wait a minute, Thomas protests. Unless I see it too, see the evidence, see the nail holes in his hands, I'm not believing. No way. The late Raymond Brown, an esteemed New Testament scholar, observed that the Greek is extraordinarily emphatic here. Something like, I'll never believe it. Do you think I'm crazy? Thomas isn't the only disciple to express his disbelief about the reports of the resurrection. Peter and John had both wanted to see the empty tomb for themselves, instead of relying on the word of some hysterical women. Thomas isn't satisfied with a second-hand report and wants to see for himself. He puts conditions on his faith. He wants hard evidence, unquestionable eyewitness facts that Jesus is risen. Who can blame him? He is, after all, one of those who had seen his Lord and friend mistreated, beaten, and then crucified. So he questions. He disbelieves. He doubts. And now he's branded as the archetypal doubter, the skeptic who demands proof. Doubting Thomas. It doesn't seem fair to single him out to label him alone as doubting. It's as if we're scolding or berating him when we do. Thomas is more likely a notable example of rational, skeptical, postmodern people like you and me. He wants proof that Jesus after the grave is the same as Jesus before the grave. He simply says what you and I may have said in the same situation. Show me. Actually, the word doubt doesn't even appear in the text in the original Greek. The literal rendering of the words is, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Jesus knew that Thomas had been with him and believed in him, so he encourages Thomas to move from skepticism to belief once again and offers him as proof his presence in the process. Thomas underscores a deep yearning for God's presence in our world. Like him, many of us want data or proof with pierced hands and sides. Without such data, faith in the triumph of life over the darkness seems implausible or at least out of reach. The next Sunday... Thomas's request comes true. Jesus appears and speaks directly to him. Scripture doesn't tell us that Thomas ever touched the wounds of Christ. 
But once Thomas got a look at and experienced the presence of the living Lord, he forgot all his conditions. The only thing he could say was, My Lord and my God. The presence of the risen Lord blots out Thomas's petty skepticisms, puny proofs, and arrogant arguments. Thomas does believe. He sees the wounds of the living Christ, the forever wounded Christ. Jesus could have selected any form for his resurrected body, but he appears not only in Thomas's life, but in ours as well, with the wounds of humanity as a reminder that he has not abandoned the reality of suffering to show his deep understanding of human anguish and to offer strengths when we're not sure where to turn with our hurts. When Thomas asks, he gets what he gets instead of proof, presence. He gets the presence of a Lord who shows up in life with wounds, the obvious traces of suffering. After this experience, Thomas not only concurs with the witness of the other disciples, but he makes the most profound confession of faith about Jesus contained in the New Testament. My Lord and my God. Yes, he's had questions, but sometimes faith is like that. It needs the freedom of hesitation and uncertainty to truly spring forth and take hold. Otherwise, faith may simply be confused with repeating creedal formulas or giving verbal consent to the faith statements of others. True, vigorous, vibrant faith comes from the freedom to question, to wonder, and to doubt. Faith is a mystery of the heart that our minds want to solve. To admit that we take certain things on faith is to say that we're willing, in limited circumstances, for things to not make perfect sense. Still, we want faith to be supported by data, so that the leap of faith is a manageable one. In this season of Eastertide, we celebrate the biggest mystery of our faith, that Jesus died for the sins of the world, and that God raised him from the grave. This fact of faith, compared to all other fantastic stories about Jesus, the healing miracles, walking on water, knowing people that he'd never met, this fact is the hardest one for our human minds to comprehend. Nothing in life is more certain than death. It's easy to determine, as inevitable as taxes, and above all, It's permanent. For Jesus to be raised from the dead defies every instinct of the mind. It can't happen, right? Faith is not about having all our questions answered or having all our doubts resolved. Douglas John Hall, looking back at his very distinguished career as a teaching theologian, asserts that in our time, religious faith has come to mean intellectual certainty. 
Christian faith has come to mean believing certain ideas about God and Jesus to be true. But faith, Paul and others are teaching, is more a matter of trusting God. Christian faith is more about the matter of trusting Jesus Christ, following Jesus Christ, rather than just believing ideas about Jesus Christ. True belief manifest in faith is never a noun, but always a verb. Faith is getting up, leaving the locked room with Christ's blessing, and walking into God's future unafraid. Believing is seeing the power of resurrection love and living it with renewed energy and hope every day. The good news of the story of Thomas is that Christ's peace and spirit, his life and breath, got Thomas and the disciples up and moving again. The point of Easter is to get frightened, discouraged men and women like us who are very much inclined to stay put, to stay locked up in anger and despair as long as we can, to get up, and to continue to move out of the door toward our homes and families and communities, toward the streets of our cities, toward life in God's creation, now suddenly, dramatically, and profoundly different because Jesus has come to us, breathed on us, and sent us out to share what we believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. May we trust that it is so. Alleluia. Amen.